Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. Typically on Fridays, I talk about Surefoot, but this week we had our Surefoot webinar on Tuesday with Sinead McCann from Australia. So today I thought we'd kind of switch gears a little bit and I'd talk about the rider's influence in terms of the horse's balance and just uh, point out some things that are really important for us to think about in our riding in relation to that horse's balance. Um, I'm sure that many of you know, if not all of my guests uh, that watch my webinars, um, that the rider has a huge influence on the horse's balance. And since what Surefoot's all about is improving balance for the horse, we can also use Surefoot for improving balance of the rider. Um, and that's really great for you guys to stand on pads, but I wanna talk about the rider in the saddle on the horse's back and how that rider can affect the horse's balance. Um, if you have any questions, please just pop it in the Q&A of the chat and I'll get to them. Um, somebody else guy yeah, said, I don't know if my fig trees are going to have any figs this year because it turned cold, but somebody else has fig trees too. So um, I was telling everybody, if you haven't been to my personal Facebook page, I put up 27 pictures of flowers because it's April 2nd and my flowers are blooming, but the temperature took a nosedive last night and I wanted to just remind everybody spring's coming. Okay. So I'm going to do a little screen share here. And I'm just going to blow this. So what are we think, talking about? And what are we thinking about when our rider is sitting on a horse? And uh, quite simply, what we're doing is we're putting one body on top of another body. But the one body is more vertically oriented and the other body is horizontally oriented. So we have our horse, our quadruped, and our biped, our human, and we're putting these two together. And so this is a photograph that I took many, many years ago. Um, Brad and I were returning from an expo in Arkansas, and we're going through Kentucky, passing my alma mater, which is University of Kentucky. And I knew they had a fully articulated horse skeleton. Um, and I happened to have my five foot four human skeleton with me, he's plastic, the horse's skeleton is real. Um, and so we drove over to the building and found the skeleton in the hallway. And we drove to the local dollar store, bought a sheet, drove back to the university, put the sheet up in the hallway and proceeded to take photographs. Um, sadly, my photographic skills were not the best at that time. Um, so I, I have some photos that really would have been great if they came out clear, but um, this one is quite good. And um, I think it really clearly illustrates uh, the skeletons being combined. So what do we have here? These are the dorsal processes. Can you all see my, if you can't see my pointer, just tell me and I'll um, reshare the screen. Cause sometimes with zoom and screen share, it doesn't follow. So just pop that in the Q and A or in the, um, chat if you're having any difficulty seeing any of the images that I'm going to show today. Okay, so here are the dorsal processes of the thoracic vertebrae. Thoracic means it has a rib associated with it, dorsal meaning toward the sky, uh, ventral being toward the ground, the dorsal processes. And as you can see, these are like 12 inches tall. So when you put your hand on your horse's withers, you're only putting your hand at the very top of these dorsal processes. And you can see that they slope down and then here they're quite upright. Whereas you can see that the, the wither area, they're raked back toward the tail. 
and then they're quite upright and then they slightly change to a forward at the top, forward angle. So we have this slope that's coming down, flattening a little bit and then angling the other way. Now I'll see if I can make this even bigger. This was a racehorse and I just wanna point out the kissing spine here. You can see the arthritis in this spine, right? So this was a very uh, old articulated horse long before I think we ever talked about kissing spine, but you can see that fusion right there in those dorsal processes, right? Here you can see that there's gaps and obviously there would be cartilage and tissue in between these and muscles, which you know aren't there anymore. But when we're sitting on the horse's back and um, when we're sitting on the horse's back bareback, there's no distribution of the rider's weight over the horse's rib cage. In other words, where you're sitting is where the weight is. So um, when people ask me about bareback riding, which I think is, is a great activity for some people to do, I always caution the older woman who is new to riding um, to ride bareback because there's a chance that you could fall. And that's another story. But, you know, it's really important um, when someone suggests that you do something like ride bareback, that we take into consideration the student's age, their physical ability, the horse, the horse's back shape, all these things. But that's another discussion. Today, we're just wanting to look at this whole idea of the rider on the horse. But here you can see the skeleton's sit bones. And um, they would be sitting on the muscle that would be filling in from the rib heads to the top line, right? So you have longissimus, multifidus, and um, you have ligaments. So you have a lot of muscle, about six inches of muscle here between your sit bones and the rib heads. But the weight is basically not on the spine itself. I'll show you a different angle. It's gonna be coming down into this muscle and over these rib heads. And so, you know, we're taking a very small surface area and distributing it over the horse's back. Okay, I have a question here. So let me see if I can, why can't I see the question? I'm gonna stop share for a second. I don't know why I can't. Um, does the height of the difference, oh no, somebody's asking, um, they're curious, how do the height, I think of the dorsal processes, you mean different with mutton withered horses or mules or donkeys? I mean, you're still gonna have tall dorsal processes. Are they 12 inches? I, I can't give you a number, but they're very tall. And we, we tend to not think about what's underneath the skin. This whole area here, this will be filled in with muscle and fascia and tissue and we'll have um, ligaments that run all the way down along the top of these dorsal processes. So there's a lot of flesh and tissue in between, even on a mutton withered horse. Um, and here's the top edge of the bone of the shoulder blade, but there's a cartilage cap that's gonna come up. And so, um, you know, the anatomy isn't gonna change that much between a mutton withered or a donkey or a horse. You're still going to have this basic shape and the, the, the idea that this is very tall here and we tend not to think about exactly where the spine is running relative to the horse's top line. All right, so let me just pause here for a second so I can move my pictures forward. Oh, um, yeah, this is not the best. Okay, so you should be seeing the, the rider's leg at this point or the skeleton's leg on the horse. 
Um, this is another curious thing that happens with bareback riding is that your leg is going to automatically slide forward into the rib groove. So the ribs are narrower here at the front and then they get wider and spring out more, okay? And your leg cannot accommodate the spring of the ribs here. And so it's just automatically gonna slide forward into that rib groove when you're riding bareback. Unless the horse is really slab-sided, really flat withered, um, it's, and if they're comfortable to ride bareback, they're probably not because they'll have nice flesh here on the top for you to sit on to support you. But this is why your leg goes forward. And it's also one of the reasons why riding in a saddle is so beneficial because in a saddle, a saddle that fits, the purpose of the saddle is to um, distribute our weight over a larger surface area over the horse's rib cage so that we don't have this kind of point pressure. I'll just make this a little bigger. So we don't have this kind of point pressure that we're gonna get from our sit bones. It's gonna more evenly distribute the weight over the rib cage and it allows our leg to become underneath us, to be more positioned in a place where we can function in alignment with gravity with greater ease and, and more ability to move with that horse. So um, this is gonna be what happens if you ride bareback and that saddle is gonna, I'm gonna show you some pictures, depending on where that stirrup bar is placed is gonna depend on exactly where my leg is underneath me. Um, we are working on having somebody talk about saddles. Um, it's been a long time coming. I've been nurturing um, this relationship. He is fabulous. He has so much knowledge and I don't wanna steal any of his thunder. Um, so we will have a webinar on saddle fit and what it needs to do um, in a very objective way. So stay tuned for that. Um, here's just another angle. So you can see how the ribs are actually pushing the knee outward. So they're externally rotating that leg to some degree because of the width. So I'll just make it bigger. Now, this pelvis is not in uh, a neutral position, okay? Because the skeleton, you can't move his pelvis um, into a sitting position. So it's in a anterior tilt, meaning the top is forward. And so you can see how the pubic bone right now is smacking into the dorsal processes. And if any of you find that you have discomfort in the pubic area, it may be resulting from the fact that you're sitting with a forward tilt. Um, and so you can see how that's going to point the seat bones out behind. Be that as it may, notice that the width between the seat bones, and I don't care if you're a guy or a girl, the width between the seat bones is greater than the width of the spinal processes. So here you can see that this seat bone is unsupported and that the weight of the torso is right now coming down on the pubic bone onto these dorsal processes. Again, this is not a pelvis that is in what I would call a correct rider position, but it gives you an idea that these seat bones are going to be sitting over this muscle mass that would be filling in here. And here is your hip socket and hip joint. And you can see how, because of this width of the rib cage, it is moving that knee outward. In other words, if it was in a straight plane, it would come more here, right? But it can't because there's ribs. This is also gonna play in 
especially in a Western saddle, if you have a saddle that has a lot of rigging, has thick, heavy skirts, depending on its style of rigging, it could severely push out your leg and cause hip pain, knee pain, and block your function. Um, so, Okay, here's just a close-up of the hip joint. It's a ball and socket joint. And, you know, when, when people are talking about, uh, there's a lot of talk about a male pelvis and a female pelvis and how, you know, the saddle needs to be designed for a guy or a girl. Um, in my experience, the saddle simply needs to fit you and you are not chocolate or vanilla. We are all unique. Some people have a slightly different set to the angle of the socket. Some people have a longer neck to the femur, some people shorter, so, you know, some people their sit bones are wider, some are narrower. If you've given babies, that's gonna change your pelvis. So to simply say male and female is so oversimplified in terms of fitting you. And that is the most important thing that the saddle needs to fit you and your horse and most critically, it needs to free this hip joint. So if there's anything impeding the function of this hip, which is the largest joint in the body, um, the size of this hip joint is approximately two inches in diameter. It's the most important joint in terms of riding, because as you can see, it's the closest to the horse and its function is so critical to contact. So people want to have discussions about rain contact all the time. And they want to talk about what you should do with your hands and how you should hold your hands and where they should be and how you sit up and all of this stuff. And in my opinion, this joint is the most important joint in terms of contact for multiple reasons. One is it's the largest joint in your body and it is the closest joint to the horse. So this hip joint, which is where your leg comes into your body, into the hip socket, which is part of the pelvis, this joint, if it is restricted, is going to affect not only your hand contact, but also your seat contact. If this joint is restricted, it will affect your rein contact, even if you don't have a bridle on because of its influence on the horse's back. So, you know, when someone wants to talk to me about contact, I want to talk about hip joints. Hip joints that are restricted, just think about, you know, if you you go out to your car and one of the brakes is grabbing and you hear it grinding, right? And it's restricting that wheel, it's going to affect the entire car. Or if you've ever had hip pain, you know how that affects your overall function. You see people limping. So the hip is the largest joint in the body. It's the closest joint in the in the in the body to the horse, it is the most important joint in terms of its function for riding. If this joint is in any way restricted, it is going to alter and negatively impact your function and that of the horse. When you think about, we want the horse to engage his hind leg, meaning bring his hind leg forward underneath his body. If there's any restriction in his hip joint, it is going to impact how well he can engage his hind leg. Um, and for anybody that's heard uh, the term disengagement in terms of horsemanship, that is a completely different, uh, and in my opinion, misuse of the word engagement. 
if you go back to Jean Saint-Fort Payard's book called Understanding Equitation, engagement is the swing of the hind leg under the body, period. So if the hind leg is advancing under the body, it is engagement. Then we can talk about good or poor. So good engagement would be over track, you know, tracking up, stepping into the front of the front leg or over tracking, exceeding the front of the front leg. Poor engagement would be not tracking up and disengagement is the leg moving behind the body. So engagement is the hind leg coming under the body and disengagement is the hind leg going behind the body. And we can talk about quality of engagement. Now the term as it's used in horsemanship comes from disengaging the clutch in your car. And in that way, in that manner, they are asking the hind leg to poorly engage because it steps across so far that there's no forward drive. You take away the forward drive. Now for me, forward drive is extremely important because that's where my impulsion comes from. So I want good engagement of the hind leg. And we'll leave that to another discussion at another time because we want to talk about the rider. Uh, hang on, I'll just pause this for a second and get to my, I know, next slide. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, I'm gonna resume share. You should be seeing a human skeleton on the left with arms holding it and a horse skeleton on the right. If you're not seeing that, tell me and I will stop and reshare. Okay, so what we were trying to do here is show you the comparison between the human pelvis and the horse's pelvis. And so Brad is holding Elmer, that's his name, in a horizontal position next to the horse. And here is the, the ilium, the wings of the pelvis. That's the equivalent, does that help? It's the equivalent to these wings. But as you can see, the horse's pelvis is much elongated. I'll make it a little smaller so we can see the whole thing. Much elongated. So back here, are the sit bones. In us, they're underneath us. In the horse, they're pointing out behind. And right here is the pubic arch, which in the human is right here. So we have the same components of the pelvis, but the difference is the shape of them and the size of them. Here is our sacrum. I'll just make it bigger so you can see this triangular shape with the tailbone coming down. This is the human sacrum, which is the spine, the lumbar spine coming in, the two halves of the pelvis, the anominates, um, uh, <laughs> meaning has no name, and then the ilium, and this is the ischium and the pubic arch, okay? So if we swing over here, here's the horse's sacrum from the same perspective. We're looking up at the horse from underneath, and here is his sacrum, looks like big wings, right? and then it comes back. So it's a different shape than ours because it's a horizontal creature, right? Here's the tail hanging down on him. You can't really see those little tailbones. Here's the hip socket of the horse. Look at the size of this thing, right? It's massive, right? And here's our greater trochanter. Um, he actually has three trochanters. This is the lesser, greater, and this is, uh, there's a third one, sorry, I don't remember the name. Here is our greater trochanter and lesser trochanter. So your psoas muscle is going to attach. It's gonna come from the lumbar area down along joining iliacus, the muscle that lines the ilium and then attaches onto the lesser trochanter to contract and advance the leg or stabilize, okay? So that just gives you an idea of 
how the two pelvises relate. Um, if you have any questions about that, just pop it in the chat or the Q&A. Um, ah. So here, oops, here we are looking down. Let me just orient you. So these are the dorsal processes standing up, right? Here's the ribs coming off of the thoracic spine, right? And then where we saw the skeleton sitting from the side view, we're now looking caudally toward the tail. So this is the pubic bone right here. Remember again that this pelvis, I can't bring it upright because it's made in a way that it's in an anterior tilt because it's designed to represent a standing human, not a sitting human. Okay, here are our sit bones. Here's our hip joints. Here's our tailbone, our sacrum, right? Our pubic bone. And so what I want you to see, I can't make it any bigger, okay? But you see the shadow right here. This is your sit bone on air when it's sitting on a skeleton, when it's skeleton on skeleton, because there needs to be muscle covering from these ribs up to these dorsal processes that fills in. Okay, so this whole area is filled in with muscle, which then is what the saddle sits on. So the panels need to sit over the ribs and distribute our weight through the tree over the ribs. But the point I'm trying to make here is look at the distance between these two sit bones. And then here's our rib heads coming into our vertebrae right here and right over here. And look at the width of the horse's spine relative to our two sit bones. And what do you notice? Like what's the thing that strikes you guys when you look at this picture and you see just how narrow that space is and just how wide this spine is? Anybody got any input? <laughs> I'll stop share for a second. Uh, oh, how to gauge whether a bony pelvis is in neutral? We'll get there because I will show you. Um, um, you know, he just can't do it. My skeleton can't do it. All right. So nobody has come up with a, a, a proposal about what that means that our seat bones are barely wider than the horse's spine. So I will tell you, what do you think is going to happen if the rider sits a little crooked? What's going to happen if the rider sits a little low to one side? What's going to happen is it's going to, oh, somebody's got a comment. Yay. Let's see what they said. Yeah. Pain in the spine. It's going to put pressure against the tissue alongside of the dorsal processes. So if you sit heavy to one side, it's going to put pressure against the opposite side of the dorsal processes. And so when you start to think about that and then you think about what riders have been taught to do in terms of their weight and how to apply weight aids, okay? And where they've been to, you know, put your weight here, put your weight there, more weight on this seat bone, more weight on that seat bone, do this, do that. Well, we've got to go back and think about if I start altering the alignment of my seat bones relative to the dorsal processes and the spine, what is that doing to the horse? And where is it that I really want my weight? Okay, so I'm gonna pause the screen share for a second. Uh, well, I'll just, 
here is a close-up of the hip joint and we've tried to bring the leg down a little bit, right? And you can see how the, the femur, the thigh bone is running into these ribs and we can't bring that leg down lower the knee any further unless we took the leg wide. And if we take the leg wide, that means that this greater trochanter is now gonna get closer to the pelvis here and jam. Uh, okay, so somebody says, I've been exploring how important the lesser trochanters are in connecting the horse's back, in connecting with the horse's back and not just the seat bones. Well, the lesser trochanter is part of the femur. So we went on to think about function and not just the, the bony bits themselves. And we'll get there, okay? So here you can see this knee is externally rotated and we've turned the pelvis slightly, right? The pelvis is aiming just a tiny bit to the right. And you can see where this has now really gotten close to the spinal processes. This leg has externally rotated. This one can't go anywhere because of the ribs. Okay, oh, and that's just a picture of the horses. Okay, so I'm gonna stop share for a second and let me just go back to my pictures. So just think about that for a second while I find my, my next set of pictures. I have, oh, oh, rats, come back here. Uh, okay, so, um, you know, there's, there's so many things that riders are told to do with their bodies. Um, and I'm always looking for what will work on any horse because the one thing that we cannot escape is gravity. That is the thing we cannot escape. And so, and the other thing is, and I, I'm gonna say this right now, there is no perfect body. There's no perfect horse body. There's no perfect human body. There's no perfect saddle. There is no perfect. And so when we have this discussion, it's so important for you to not go, oh, I'll never be able to do this, or I'll never be good enough, or my body just can't do this. What's important is for us to understand what good function is and to strive toward improving our function. You know, like I've had so many injuries, um, you know, broken hip socket, broken ribs, broken elbow, uh, you know, uh, you know, numerous things. So I do not have a perfect body um, and, and no one does. And so it's so important that we look toward doing the best we can with what we have and recognizing that the horses really appreciate when we take responsibility for what we're doing um, in terms of how our body affects the horse. So um, to, to say that one shouldn't ride because fill in the blank is not correct. And I had a rider years ago now, it was, it was the nicest man. And he had a scoliosis that made the hunchback of Notre Dame look like a little hump. Um, and he was such a lovely man and he was struggling with his canter. And so I helped him be able to canter on both leads. We never changed his physical body, but we helped him use what he had better in a more functional way. And as a result, he could accomplish the things he wanted. And so it's so important for people to realize that it's not about being perfect, but it's about using our potential 
finding and using our potential to be the best we can be on any given day. And so I just want to emphasize that for anybody listening that thinks, oh, well, I've had this or I don't sit or I don't let that go. What can you do today to improve? And that's really what's important. Um, the other thing I'm going to tell you is that um, we did an experiment years ago. Dr. Joyce Harmon had the computer technology to measure pressures underneath the saddle. It was early on technology. And we knew a rider who was quite heavy. She was a very, very large woman. And she was so worried about her weight. Now she had an appropriate sized horse. She had a nice big sturdy horse so that he could actually physically carry her weight, but she was very concerned. So we put the computer technology underneath her saddle and had her ride. And we could see the pressures on the horse's back, which really wasn't bad, not at all. And then we put a rider that was a hundred pounds on the same horse and had her ride badly. The 100 pound rider riding badly had a much greater negative effect on the horse's back than the heavy rider riding well. And so this is why it's so important that we think about our function and not our, you know, oh, I'm too fat. Oh, I'm too that. Oh, I'm too this, right? It's how do we use what we have now, of course, it's important to have a horse that can carry us. Um, in my book, Simplify Your Riding, I have a picture of a, a very large man on a tiny little Arab, and you can see the Arab's just kind of like, oh, I can barely do this, right? Um, so it's important that we have an appropriate sized horse that can carry us, but um, it's important that we use ourselves really well. And somebody says it's so hard to believe that the heavy rider versus the light rider, but it's good news. And yeah, so think about it. You know, if you've ever um, had a spiky pair of shoes that you walked around in and it started to make a rub on your foot, oh man, that was so uncomfortable. But then you put on your heavy hiking boots that you haven't worn in a while. And okay, you got to get used to carrying them around and maybe you're not fit enough for that, but you don't have the pain. So um, this is where it's, it's really important that we think about good function. It's why I'm a Feldenkrais practitioner, to help people improve their function, to use your body in a more efficient way, to have more possibilities of movement, to be able to do what it is that you want to do, rather than just brooding it out or getting stronger. If we strengthen our habits, we still have them. That we can just endure it for longer. And that's what fitness is. Fitness is the ability to do something for longer. So if your habit is to tense your shoulders and now you've worked out on weights and you've gotten really strong at tensing your shoulders, it's, it's going to take that much longer before they let go and you actually can carry the reins. So it's really important to think about what we do. Okay. So now we're going to talk about looking at a rider All right, so here a lovely woman, and I have a, a simulator, a horse simulator that I can put anybody's saddle on and then have the person get on. And this was her self-image. She thought she was straight. And she's a lovely woman, so she didn't do this on purpose. She wasn't trying to sit crooked. She wasn't trying to be off center. She didn't know. And her nervous system had adapted to think that this was straight. Now, the thing you need to realize here is her head is actually, if you look at the back of her helmet, it's quite level. So everything 
has worked to keep her horizon level and therefore she felt like she was straight. So um, I want you all to do a little experiment and just pick a point to look at, maybe the screen, maybe something over your screen, I'm gonna look over my screen and tilt your head to the side. And my question is, did the thing you're looking at tilt or has it stayed level? And I think all of you are gonna tell me that it stayed level. So I'm looking at something that I can read and when I tilt my head, I can still read it because it's still perfectly level. And the reason for that, actually I'll stop share for a second so I can talk to you about this. So if I tilt my head and I can still read Surefoot at the top of my banner, even though it's backwards, it still says Surefoot and it hasn't tilted. And that's because my brain is amazing. And what my brain has done has said, okay, she's tilted her head, but we're gonna keep everything, the horizon level so that we stay oriented. And that's what our brain does for us. It's amazing. It's amazing. If you've ever watched a piece of video that somebody filmed and they bounced the camera around and it got turned sideways, it's very disturbing. And the reason it's so disturbing is that your brain wants the horizon to stay as the horizon so that you can be oriented to your horizon. And when that camera's tilting, your brain is trying like crazy to get it to be level like it's supposed to be. But a camera is not a brain. And so the camera is gonna record all the changes in angle that you do when you kind of wobble your phone around. And that's why it's disturbing because your brain wants the horizon to stay level. So now if we go back and look at this picture again, what you can see is, is that her brain has kept the horizon level and then it's had to accommodate all of this in the spine, all that's going on below. And how did that happen? Well, you know, life happens. Um, you know, some people are born with a scoliosis. Some people develop a scoliosis. Some people have a desk job. Some people drive their cars for hours and hours and hours, and they wind up sitting crooked and resting their arm on the, on the, on the armrest and holding the steering wheel with one hand. There's a myriad of reasons how we wind up here, but the fact is that she's she's got unequal weight on her seat bones. Her shoulder weight is dropping over, and now she's had to reorganize her head. And just think about all the stress that is required, all the extra effort that's required to keep herself organized so that her, her head stays upright and her horizon stays level. And if we don't know that we're doing this, which is the nature of a habit, it's unconscious, we can't do anything about it. And so um, I'm just gonna find the after picture here. I just, my, my um, computer decided to create multiples of this picture. I have about 20, um, but I'm going to resume share. Okay, you should see what says after on the cantle. If you do not see the word after on the cantle in the picture, then tell me. Um, and now you can see that her belt line is level. And what's really interesting is that her head is not as level as it was before, because you're going to have uh, tension that may not be able to resolve immediately when we make a change, but now we can see that her pelvis is much more level, her shoulders are much more level, the, the spine is 
is much straighter. There's a little rotation in the chest and that there's a little bit of unlevel in the head because we've gone from that crooked place. Let me just see if I can flip back here to here. And that's simply due to the fact that my simulator gives such immediate feedback that if she did not change, she would feel very uncomfortable and possibly feel like she was going to fall off. Um, but the fact is that this is what we need to start to do is we need to become more aware of our overall position and improve it. Because if we think about that horse's spine, and I'm going to stop share for a second while I find some more pictures. Um, if we think about that horse's spine, if we're sitting really unlevel, we're going to be putting more pressure on one side of the back. All right, questions about that? <laughs> get out of there so I can get back to see it. Okay. So I, I do a little experiment with everybody. In fact, um, uh, soon we'll be launching my Effortless Rider course again. If you're on my mailing list, you'll certainly get a notice. Um, it's my online course to improve your riding. Um, somebody says I have the best photos of things I discuss. Well, <laughs> I can't talk about something I don't want to think about. But um, there's a bunch of uh, exercises in there that you can do to start to realize that you have habits. And we all have habits. We all have unconscious patterns. And our horses have to compensate for that because they cannot avoid the law, which is gravity. None of us can avoid the law of gravity. Um, and it's why we ride. So to be quite honest, without gravity, riding would be boring. It would not be fun. We wouldn't need horses. We'd float around. And if it was low gravity, we'd be like Neil Armstrong on the moon and we'd bounce. And so we'd be able to do these great big jumps we ask our horses to do. And it you know, wouldn't feel like much because gravity's so low, we can do it without a horse. So gravity is here and our skeleton is here because of gravity. Our skeleton, our muscles, our bones, um, that's uh, evidenced by the fact that these guys that go up into the spaceship for long periods of time, their muscles and their bones deteriorate because there's not enough gravity. And that's the biggest problem with long-term space travel. Um, when they come back, they have to strengthen their bones before they strengthen their muscles or they will rip their bones apart. So, you know, if anybody's experiencing osteoporosis and the weakening of the bones, you know how serious it is when your bones are not strong enough because you can break. Um, but our bones and our muscles are a result of living in gravity. So the upside is we get this great skeleton, we're able to move around. The downside is when we don't use ourselves well in gravity, gravity bites us back. <laughs> So if I'm sitting really crooked and my horse shies, I'm going to land on the ground, break my whatever, or injure myself. Um, and so it's, it's so fascinating because we're very aware of our balance. Our, our nervous system is always paying attention to our balance. It's always dealing with it, reporting back, making sure that we're okay. You know, whether, if we un are unstable, we put our hands out, we do the things we need to do. Um, and at the same time, Gravity is the thing that lets us ride. It's what it keeps us on our horses. And so, you know, it's kind of this yin yang of gravity that without it, you know, we wouldn't ride, we wouldn't need a body the way we have one. With it, there's the chance of injury. Um, 
but also the impetus to learn how to use this body really well so that we can sit efficiently and ride well. Okay, I have somebody saying it would seem the best way to ascertain if we're sitting straight without your clever apparatus to have someone observe us and take a picture as we sit on our horse. That is certainly one way, um, having someone take a picture. So let's look at another picture. Um, and then it's also about um, learning ways to recognize where we are in space. Learning ways to recognize where we are in space. Because our feet are not on the ground, it's when we're on our horse. And because our brain wants to keep the horizon level, it can be very difficult to know where the middle is. And quite frankly, the thing that I'm gonna have them put on my gravestone is where's the middle? It is the thing I have spent 30 years teaching, the middle. Um, it's what we need to know. If we know where the middle is, we can break the rules and go over here or go over there if we need to, to get the horse to move a leg in a certain direction. But if we don't know where the middle is, we don't have home base. So the middle, figuring out where, oops, where the middle is, is what gives us home base. Um, so let's look at leg position, speaking of the middle. This is the one, hang on, I'm gonna pause for a second and make sure this is the picture I want. Where's that other one that I want? Oh, there it is. Where is it without the lines? And my computer decided to create so many. Oh, I need to show you something else first. Hang on. I'm going to stop share and find the thing I need to find, um, which is a different picture. And it's up here. The one thing about having so many pictures is you can never find the one you want when you want it. <laughs> and you have to scroll through thousands. And I have yet to come up with a great way of sorting them. I keep thinking, oh, I've got it sorted. And then I blow it apart. It's kind of like, um, well, my car always looks like, oh, where is it? Oh, come on. I just had it. Um, oh, here it is. Okay. So let me get back to screen share here. So one thing about Zoom is you have to kind of run around a little bit. Um, there we go. All right. So I want to talk about... We've, we've looked a little bit from the back, right? We looked at that other rider with the crookedness and then being straighter. But remember when we first started looking at the skeleton, we looked at where the leg goes when you're not in a saddle, when you're bareback because of the ribs, it's gonna cause your leg to go forward because you can't straddle the width. And so there's a lot of different thoughts about leg position and, um, there's a lot of different instructions about what we should do with our heels, okay? So I'm sure you guys can give me a list of things that you've heard people tell you about what to do with your heels. But the bottom line is we've got to go back up to the hip. 
And if that hip is restricted in any way, it is going to affect our contact, our seat, our balance. If our foot is in front of us, we're gonna move our head forward to be over our foot. That's gonna put the weight on the horse's forehand. He's gonna to have to react to that weight being forward on the forehand. Think of that picture of the pubic bone coming down onto the dorsal processes. How many of you have been taught sit up straight is actually hollowing your back and anterior tilting your pelvis so that the pubic bone has come down onto the pulmon of the saddle. And when that happens, we've thrown our weight forward, we've restricted our hip joint due to the iliofemoral ligament, which is going to tighten because it, the, as soon as the pelvis goes into an anterior tilt like that, that ligament comes under tension, it restricts the hip joint, and now we've blocked our contact through our seat. So here is an illustration of the difference in leg position and one of the reasons from a physics perspective why I teach what I teach. So what I had the opportunity to do is I had a lovely rider and I had two brooms and I did a little illustration and I drew a line off the rider's calf to the ground with one broom and then I drew the line off the knee forward. Now, this rider has her ear, shoulder, hip, and ankle joint in alignment. And that is what I teach. The alignment of ear, shoulder, hip, and ankle. Is it perfect? No. Is there a little bit of curve here? Yeah. Is there a little bit of, am I going to fuss? No. Okay. Because I want to point out to you that essentially when we have an ear, shoulder, hip, ankle joint, meaning where the joint is, not the heel, we then have a line that comes off the thigh to the ground. And you can see that if I extrapolate that line, because that broom wasn't long enough, it is going to land here at the horse's nose, right? If I draw this line and I keep going, it's gonna wind up on the ground where a vertical line from his face would wind up. And if I draw the line off her calf and to the ground, it's gonna wind up toward his back feet, okay? Why is this important? Because if I have the rider with the leg pushed forward to get her heel down, as so many riders are taught to do, get your heel down at all costs, regardless of the leg position, we wind up with the entire base of support moving forward. So what she has done is pushed her heel down. And as you can see, that has put her whole fender, and whether it's an English or a Western, it doesn't matter, the same function happens. It's pushed the whole thing on an angle forward. And now when I draw the line off the calf and off the thigh, the entire base of support has moved to the front. And what your brain is gonna do is say, my foot is forward, I need to put my head over my foot and you are going to advance your head and to be over your foot, which is going to put the weight on the horse's forehand and plow them into the ground. Okay, so here I, uh, oh, that's something else. Uh, let me pause and find what I'm looking for because I know I have this other picture here. Hang on, I'm going to have to stop share because I got to get out of it. So let me know if you got any questions about that. This is simple physics. This is not rocket science. This is if you push your base of support forward, you are going to put your head over your foot, which means that you are going to go 
on the forehand. Oh, rats, where's that drawing? Uh, well, I have another way of showing this. But I did have a drawing of that exact thing that I was talking about there. And it it's simple physics. The wider the base of support, in other words, the more surface area over which you are supported, the more stable you are. If you move that base of support forward, you're going to have to advance your head to get over your base of support. And in the case of riding, you're going to put the weight on the forehand and be less secure. No matter, and the problem is the harder you try this, the harder you try to jam your heel down, the more restriction there is in the shock absorbing joints of hip, knee and ankle and the worse it's gonna get. So many riders tell me that they feel insecure because they don't even realize what they've done for bracing their heel down and that's restricted the joints, pitched them forward and then everybody yells at them to sit up straight and they try to heave their chest back even though their foot is forward and their brain is not gonna tolerate that because otherwise you're gonna flip off the back of the horse. Um, someone's asking any recommendations for someone who works with new riders to get better con, con yeah, all of my material, everything I have, I, I talk about hips constantly. I have books, DVDs, my online course. I have, if you're teaching people, I have so much information that you can literally take and translate into a lesson with your students. Most importantly, all the stuff I talk about in finding your hip joints. Um, so yeah, I have tons, tons and tons. Um, all right. So we're going to look at this picture here. Here's a rider who has, it's an English saddle, right? And she's driven her heel down and we can see that this leather is actually angled slightly forward, which means that she has pushed her bases forward, okay? Now, you know, the, the, the unfortunate part is that we've lost the, the real true meaning of heels down. And for me, it's a passive movement, not an active movement. And people will go, well, what about toes up? It doesn't matter. Toes up, heels down. Those are active movements. What we need is passive movement in the ankle. It needs to be able to do what I call treadle, which is be able to move with the motion of the horse. The minute we pull the toes up, go ahead and do it, pull your toes up or jam your heels down, you have actually restricted your ankle joint from being able to passively follow the horse's movement. So when we put effort into it, and try to make our heel go down or push our base of support forward so that it appears that our heel is down. And in this case, you can see that when the stirrup pendulums forward, relative to the ground, the heel is lower, but relative to the stirrup, it is not. So here's our stirrup tread. And if I draw a line from our stirrup tread to our heel, her heel is up relative to the ball of her foot. Her heel is not below the level of the stirrup. It is above. So her heel is not down. Her foot is pushed forward, but that is not heels down. Heels down is when the heel is lower than the balance point of the foot. And that comes from the ankle being able to passively give. Now I will show you, I'm gonna pause here for a second because again, my computer decided to create multiples of this picture. Oh, um, I'm gonna resume share. So here now, her leg is under her. Her stirrup leather actually, if anything, might be angled tiny bit back 
right? We can see that if we draw the line, and I'll show you that with the lines off the calf and draw the line off the knee, we're gonna have a great big base of support, okay? And her ankle is under her heel. Now, uh, I will refrain from talking about these boots with arch supports in this particular topic because we're running out of time, but anytime you have an arch support like this, your heel is in a low high heel position and you can never get it down, okay? because the boot is actually preventing it. So here I've drawn the lines. Here's the line of gravity, vertical. Here's the line off the thigh. Here's the line off the calf. And you can see that the base of support is going to be huge if I take this line to the ground. This is just the line at the level of the stirrup. But if I lower it, you extrapolate these lines, you have a huge triangle base of support. And then if I find the picture uh, where, yeah, okay. Here's her leg pushed forward. Yeah, I know, Bunk. And if I draw the line now, here is the line of gravity. Her seat is not supported by her leg. Here is the triangle of moving the whole leg forward. The heel looks down relative to the ground, but is not down relative to the stirrup. It's actually up. Her basis of support is advanced and she's gonna to have to pitch her head to get over her foot. So when she's sitting in the saddle, the weight of her seat is coming down on the horse's back without the leg being underneath to support that weight so that you can find a lengthening upward. Okay, I'm gonna stop share for a second. Oh, I'm almost out of time. All right, does this make sense? And do you have questions? So gravity is the law. We cannot escape gravity. We must learn how to work with gravity effectively in good function. Riding is the only sport that I can think of where we, because we are not relating directly to the earth, as in skiing, tennis, golf, baseball, football, where our feet are on the ground, we are on a system that can give us false readings, false feedback. We may think we're in the middle. We may think that we're in a secure and balanced position, but in actual fact, we have put ourselves in a position of insecurity and instability. But that's only shown to us when there's an experience. And then if we don't have the information as to what went wrong, because we're not relating directly to the ground, we are in trouble. And how many times have you felt anxious and nervous or worried or scared when you're riding and you try to tell yourself, it's okay, I can do this. Well, your brain is really smart and it's reporting to you an anxiety because it recognizes whether or not you're stable. So, you know, it's really, really fascinating because I'll set up my balance trail. I take the surefoot pads at my riding clinics and I set them up, I call it the balance trail or the trail of torture, depending on your perspective. And I have people go over all those objects and more, which are all unstable and, and ask different questions. And almost invariably, I'll have someone in a clinic that says, you know, my balance is really poor. I'm, I'm going to have a hard time. And they are the most secure on the balance trail. And the reason for that is they can't unconsciously allow their nervous system to figure it out. They have to consciously pay attention to their balance and consciously work on feeling stable and secure because autopilot isn't working for them. 
Whereas those of us who have a healthy nervous system that works on balance and autopilot and background, think we're okay. We think we're great. And we can catch ourselves if we get in trouble. But the person who doesn't have that system in place has to work so much harder. They're so much more conscious that they've overcompensated and they are typically the ones that are the most secure on my balance trail. Um, oh, you'd like to see pictures of my balance trail? Uh, I'm sure I have some, hang on. Um, so the effortless rider course followed uh, by a live clinic, Diane's been there. Um, you've done them twice, yep. Um, and we have the effortless rider course coming up and how many different types of saddles affect base and support, such as every saddle affects base of support, every saddle, okay? Because if that saddle does not place your leg in the correct position and jumping is different than on the flat, but Western is the same as on the flat. If that saddle, which is built for the average person happens to not be you, which I have yet to meet the average person, there is an influence of the saddle on the rider. Now, if we understand that, can we compensate for it? Yes. But if we don't understand that, are we at the mercy of it? Absolutely. And so again, this is where we need to have a very clear understanding of what it is from a functional perspective, from a perspective of alignment and organization and gravity as to what we need to do. And then we need the tools the function in our own body, which is why I love the Feldenkrais method, to have the possibility of movement to be able to either override, adapt, or understand where we need to be in space to make this thing work. And for those who have not figured that out, riding is scary, frightening, painful, awkward. You know, you come home sore, you know, you, you love it so much and you keep going back, but you're worried about the next time you're going to get injured because you haven't been equipped with the skills necessary to know where the middle is. And that's just so important. So let me quickly see if I can find a picture of my balance trail since somebody's asked that. Um, if I've got it in my keywords, oh, it looks like I have. Oh, I did something really fun once too. Um, let me just see all and find, um, doo -doo -doo. oh yeah, here we go, Oops, wait, I have to get, um, out of there, uh, uh oh, this is the one thing about Zoom is going back and forth between a screen share, and that's, it took me out of that, so I'll just find balance trail, Wait, wait, I had a good picture here. Hang on. Do, do, do. Where did it go? Of course, it's not the one I, um, no, that's not it. But basically I said, this is at a clinic. I set up the, uh, hang on, I'll pause here and I'll find that picture again. I had a good one. Um, I set up the pads um, in, a, in a line, in a, oh, here's, here's an example. Do, 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 here's a machine. So this is a balance trail without people. So I have a variety of objects that I use uh, a lot, the surefoot pads, and then I'll throw in some other things um, and just have people go through the line. And then if it's a riding clinic, what I do is I, um, I push on them. <laughs> uh, and if you don't have your base of support underneath you, uh, when I push on you, it's not pretty. Uh, why can't I get this to advance? 
oh, here's another, here's another picture. Okay, so this is at a Surefoot workshop and basically I put the slants, heel high, heel low, and I have the pads and, and everybody gets to go over them. And this is just Surefoot pads in this particular balance trail. Um, and then of course, there's this balance trail who somebody was checking out and thought it was very interesting. Um, but basically, it's just lining up all of my uh, all my unstable surfaces and having people go over them. So somebody's asking, let's see, oh, I want to go to one of your clinics. Um, and then somebody says, what are your thoughts on Schley the salads for putting you in the correct position? So, you know, the 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 saddle has to fit you and your horse. And the question I always ask is, is what we're going to talk about in the saddle. Uh, webinar coming up this month. Um, I, I don't have a date yet set because the person who's going to do that has a health issue right now that we're hoping ha to be resolved in time for the date that we have. Um, and if that date doesn't work, we're going to have to move it. So I don't want to tell you yet because then you're going to look forward to it. And then I have to tell you it's not going to happen. So, but it's coming. Um, the, I don't care what saddle brand we're talking about. The saddle needs to fit you. The most important thing is that that alignment of the leg being able to be underneath you, especially when we're talking about on the flat, say dressage. And that's gonna be a function of how that saddle is made. And everybody has a different idea, but when we get down to the bare nuts and bolts, the, just the physics and gravity, that's the thing to look at. And because riders come in so many shapes, we have to make sure that it's set up for that rider. Okay, so uh, what's the cause of pubic pain? Sitting with a hollow back and slamming into the pummel that doesn't fit you. <laughs> Believe me, I can remember very clearly sitting on one particular saddle on a horse and a week later I was still sore. So, you know, again, it comes down to fit. That saddle needs to fit you in many ways. And so I'm not gonna give a whole lot more information on saddle fit, cause I'm gonna save that for that webinar. Uh, is there a quick answer to boots that I recommend? Any boot without an arch support. So if you, um, you can find any, any boot with a flat sole, cause the function of the heel is to simply prevent you from slipping through the stirrup. That is what the, purpose of the heel is. But if that heel puts you in a low high heel position, in other words, raises your heel relative to the ball of your foot inside the boot, you cannot get your heel down. So, okay, everybody do this one. Take your hand, this is the ground, okay? Take your other hand, this is the balance point of your foot, right? Place the toes long with the balance point of the foot on your base hand, okay? And lift your wrist. And you are now in a low high heel position right? Your heel, the wrist is higher than the ball of your foot, the ball of your hand. Okay. Now push with the ball of your hand, which is your foot against the other hand, which is the ground and feel what happens in this joint. Okay. It is now jammed. Okay. The more pressure you put against the ground, the more this is going to get stuck. It needs to go in this direction. If you're bracing against the foot, can you do it? No. So your heel remains high because of the pressure of the foot coming down onto the ground at the ball, which prevents the foot from doing this. So feel what you have to do to get from here. You have to take the pressure off the ball. You have to soften, and then you have to allow the front of the foot 
to treadle upwards, which is effectively letting your heel be lower than the ball of your foot. Does that make sense? Okay, all right. So um, until next week, we have, I think we have three webinars lined up for next week. And um, uh, just remember to subscribe to the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. I'm sure all of you that are live here today have already done that. Um, and we'll see you next week with more great webinars and we're lining up our guests for the month of April. So stay tuned and have a fabulous weekend. Bye.